0: It's time to sworn the 402. Welcome to the Nebraska Hawks. Night. These guys are brave. They're Hawkeyes living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys are way past their but they're still
1: Hawkeyes. They're spreading the Hawkeye Heights the frost advisory is cancelled
2: corn huskers more like corn suckers
1: are you ready for this podcast Welcome back to the Nebraska Hawks Nest, your Hawkeye oasis located in a nasty little Nebraska desert. Make sure to take a little bit of time out of your day, whether you're listening on podcast, watching us on our YouTube channel, or whatever it might be. Hit the like, hit the subscribe so you can get all the updates on our Hawkeye legend interviews. And you know, while you're at it, tell a friend joining us today. Iowa Hawkeye legend, CFL <laughs> legend, the man himself, Javon Johnson. What's going on, man? We're excited to have you at the Nebraska Hawks Nest. Hey, I'm I'm excited. Anytime I get to
2: talk to Hawk fans across the country, you know, people that support the Hawks, I'm always
1: all for it. You know, we were super excited about this. We know you're busy, got the, you know, heavy coaching career going on right now. And I uh, wanted to really ask you and update all the Hawkeye fans that aren't aware of everything that's going on with you in your life right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what What's going on w- uh, with you for work right now? I believe you are at Defiance University last time we checked uh, coaching there. I don't know. Are you still there? No, um, I'm not. I'm not oh,
2: there anymore. I
1: okay. was there for, uh,
2: for three seasons. Um, two of those three seasons, I was the defensive coordinator. Um, one of those years, I was just a defensive backs coach. But um, it was definitely an interesting experience, uh, something that I definitely appreciate having the opportunity to do. I met a lot of great kids that um, come from different walks of life that had the same goals that I had when I went to the University of Iowa. Um, just to have the opportunity to play the game of football um, at the next level and be able to to showcase your talents and also at the same time be able to to get an education, which is ultimately the most important part.
0: Yeah. So Javon, was there anything as a coach you learned that, you know, after all your time as a player that, you know, you started coaching and you had this revelation kind of like, oh, this is where my coaches came from all this time, or anything like that? Or
2: <laughs> um, for me, I think the 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 part that uh that I was able to to gather was, you know, I had to remove myself from being the player. You know, mm-hmm. being able to see it from a different perspective because I knew um, that I had to teach those guys how to do it, but I couldn't get upset if they didn't do it the way that I did it. Um, mm-hmm. Understanding that guys learn different ways. Some guys have to go on the board. Some guys learn from watching film. Some guys, you have to go out on the field and physically do it. Um, you know, just the the intangibles of playing different positions and and. The X's and O's and putting guys in the, the position to win. That's probably the the part that um that I definitely learned a lot about. Um, I critique myself harder than anybody you know ever will. So, um, I'm always I'm always my biggest critic. But I think I did very well with the uh, with the defense. We went from giving up fifty plus points a game to giving up less than fourteen. So I think I did pretty Woo. well.
1: <laughs> so clearly you have a knack for it Javon like are you are you still in coaching right now or are you in a transitional period yeah right now I'm uh
2: I was at the college I ended up leaving the college because of some things that I wasn't really pleased with so I, I kind of removed myself um okay. this past this past uh fall I've coached the middle school team here at in my hometown um okay. I have two young children that are two years old and one's um, eight months as of yesterday. So um, nice. so I'm home now. I'm able to spend time with the kids and, you know, do the things that I love. But at the same time, I'm still giving the knowledge back to the youth. I work with the middle school, um, seventh and eighth grade team, uh, calling defenses. And then um, the guy that they had calling offenses quit. So I ended up calling the offense as well. So, um it was a good. It was a good transition because I got to see it from a different point of view. Um, from the 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 youth, the seventh and eighth grade is a lot more difficult than coaching college players.
0: <laughs> I was just going to ask you and say, you know, you were a little frustrated, maybe the college kids weren't listening, so you went right to middle school and uh, and <laughs> took the challenge head on. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they
2: now they are they are chaos like it's it's a different <laughs> ball game you really got to simplify everything so you got to kind of dumb it down all the way uh and just give them the basics and and let them play honestly um but we have fun i was proud of the kids the kids played hard for me you know they gave me everything that they had so you know i was i was extremely proud of them it
1: sounds like um, and, you uh, having to set up this podcast for me, Jerry, having to dumb it down for me so I can understand I, what's going I, on. I was
0: just going to say, he's got pra- he's got practice talking to us if he's got to dumb it down to the basics. He's going to fit in here just <laughs> fine now. So. <laughs> so, so Javon, let's go ahead and go back to the beginning, uh, you know, childhood growing up. You know, what was it that uh, drove you in, into football? And then, you know, what was that like all through high school? And how'd you end up at Iowa then? And what was your recruitment process like?
2: Oh, for me growing up, uh, you know, I grew up in a in a unfortunate environment. Um, you know, where drugs and gangs violence was was a regular occurrence. And
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: having to to remove myself from that environment and focus on playing the game of football, basketball, whatever sport that I played, I think playing sports for me was a way to remove me from the environment that I lived in. So um, I spent a lot of time at the gym playing basketball, a lot of time at the field um, practicing football, um, at the baseball field playing baseball. I, I played every sport you can think of uh, growing up. And my uncle who lived with me um, from the, since the age of five was a big mentor in my life. He was the person that introduced me to the game of basketball um, at a very young age. Um, he taught me you know, to come home from school and get my homework done before uh, going out and, and playing any sports because, you know, academics matter. So my grades was always on par. Um, nice. And then, you know, my mom, you know, she was the the hard worker in the family. You know, she raised three of my cousins who she adopted, me and my little brother, all my uncles and, and their kids, you know, were in and out of our household at some point or another. So, um, you know, times were rough, but my mom never let it. Uh, waiver so she just always kept a uh, smile on her face and went to work every day to make sure we had everything that we needed so uh, you know that's my hero but um you know as i as i went through the the ranks of i didn't start playing football till eighth grade actually and and i played basketball since I was five uh, so coming up i was always a basketball player i was always skilled at uh playing basketball play point guard you know I was a, a hell of a defender. Um, and a couple of my my best friends they they asked me to come out and play football because they played football since they were six years old and um and i was like nah at first i was real skeptical about it um and then they just kept bugging me about it seventh grade basketball we won championships eighth grade basketball we won championships. so eighth grade they were like you gotta play football so i ended up coming out and uh i'm like well what position do i play like you guys are all the skilled players, so like where do I go? You know? And uh, and the coach he he approached me and he's he he gave me the football. He said, Hey, you and this kid warm up throwing the ball. And I'm like, What? I'm like, what are you what are you talking about? So, you know, he like, yeah, I want you to throw the ball around with another guy that was on our team. Um, so we get we got to throwing the ball around. Next thing you know, I'm playing quarterback. So I'm like, all right, well. I mean, here we go. Here goes nothing that led the team my first year <laughs> to an undefeated football season. So, I mean, it wasn't a testament of me. It was a testament of the guys that I played with. But, you know, I just I just called the shots like a point guard would. Um, and then I got recruited to go to every high school in the city to play football. Um, so I ended up going to school with my friends um, for two years. My first two years, I went to a school called Erie East High School um, where we were just talented. Sorry, I think I lost you guys for a second, but we were extremely talented, but um, you know, we lacked the discipline and and the day-to-day of hard work and getting it done every day at practice, um, in the classroom, all of those things. Like we had so many outstanding athletes that never amounted to anything. Um, Just because they didn't practice, they didn't show up to practice. You know, we would get in games and we would lose because guys would just kind of do their own thing. And so I left that school and transferred to a prep school um, where my two best friends went to school at. Um, and once I transferred there, everything changed. You know, I was challenged academically. Football was at, at a premium. Like everybody worked hard, everybody showed up to practice. Discipline was outstanding. We didn't lose games because, you know, we took stupid penalties and things like that. So we went undefeated. Um, and then we lost in the playoffs. But you know, after my senior year, uh, Coach Phil Parker and Norm they were at our high school, and they were recruiting my teammate, actually LaVon Rowan, who ended up going to Wisconsin. Um, but they were recruiting him, six one, hundred ninety pound, high school track uh, track state champion. You know, I mean, the kid did it all. He was a, he was an amazing football player, but he was an even better track star. Um, and they wanted him, you know, he was the other corner on my team. So I always refer to myself as the other guy. Um, (laughs) But when they were recruiting him, I was in the office with them and I I was telling them like, listen, you know, if you don't get him, he has a teammate that can really play, you know, and and, uh, and they were just kind of brushing me off, brushing me off. And uh, I had to leave out because I had basketball practice. So I ended up going down to the gym. And then after their meeting with him, Coach Parker came into the into the gym and he called me to the side and he asked me if I could dunk a basketball and I told him I could and he uh he he asked me to show him so I got a ball from one of my teammates and I dunked the ball and he walked out the gym and I was like well, <laughs> I guess he wasn't impressed. So ended up uh the next day they sent me a certified letter and offered me a scholarship.
0: Really? So wow.
2: I was like, well, I guess he was impressed. So now, you know, I was down to, you know, two scholarship offers. I had one to Kent State and one to the University of Iowa. And Kent State wanted me to play both ways. They wanted me to play receiver and DB, but um, Iowa wanted me to come in. I'm like, listen, it's a big opportunity. They offered me a, a scholarship, and I had offers to Kent State and Iowa. So I was I was forced to decide which school was going to be the best opportunity for me. And uh, when I started to think about it, I had Ed Hinkle and uh, Bob Sanders, who are from my hometown, who I grew up with, guys that I've watched play. That, uh Bob and I played in the same little league uh, organization where I watched him play running back and saw the type of things that he was able to do. And uh, so I ended up choosing Iowa because I knew that they wouldn't let me fail, you know, being there with guys from my hometown, I knew that they weren't going to let me fail. So I ended up going, um, I came out after I graduated over the summer and that summer I I sat with Bob hours on hours, just kind of going over defense, going over the different calls that the safeties make and just knowing the ins and outs about everything that that was going to transpire once I got on campus for training camp. So I was light years ahead of all the other freshman DBs when I came in because I spent that summer just studying playbook, you know, the the weight room structure, the practice schedule, the whole 9 yards. I was prepared before the season even got started in training camp. So I was ahead when we got to training camp, I was able to outplay a bunch of the other freshman guys because of my knowledge of, you know, spending that summer in Iowa City and getting, uh, getting ahead. So, you know, it was, it was a blessing in disguise how the offer happened. But I'm so appreciative to the University of Iowa for the way that it happened and, and, you know, to be able to tell my story to
0: other people. So, Javon, um, did you ever hear the background on the conversations or what took place? We assume dunking a basketball wasn't the only thing they looked they found out about to offer you a scholarship. Was did you ever <laughs> hear what happened uh, for him to uh, the to change their mind and dunking a basketball? Aren't you about six one? So I mean that had to show some pretty good athleticism. But... Well, I
2: wish I was six one. If I was six <laughs> one, I probably would have played about ten to fifteen years in the NFL and made a hundred million dollars. So ah. <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> i'm not 6-1 i'm only 5-9 <laughs> oh
0: really i didn't yeah. realize that you played bigger than than that when you played at Iowa, so I was mistaken. But did you? Hey, ever that's, hear any... that's that's
1: the research team's fault, Jerry. Don't <laughs> take the blame on that. Yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna be writing some people up later for that.
0: We, we get what we pay for
1: in research. But uh, did you yeah, ever hear? I, mean, what...
2: I wish I was six one. Trust and believe. I really wish I was.
1: Well, hey, ever... being being six one isn't everything. I'm six one, and, and I'm not much to to look at on a football field. So.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, if I had my same skill set as six yeah. one. Yeah. I would have been a first round NFL draft pick.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, did you ever hear if there was any the conversations or what else led to him to led to Iowa offering you then at the time? Or, uh,
2: I mean, mostly it was just because of my athletic ability, um, you know, and especially I think the real reason was because my teammate ended up choosing Wisconsin over Iowa because Wisconsin offered his brother a scholarship as well,
1: uh-huh. so.
2: You know, they were, it was the week before signing day. They had an extra extra scholarship and, you know, they were able to see my athletic ability in person. So uh, they just kind of gave me an opportunity and, and it just worked out for both sides, I guess.
1: Javon, earlier you briefly mentioned a little bit about Bob Sanders. And Bob, like yourself, is one of the best defensive players to ever play at the University of Iowa. We're always wanting to learn more about Bob. He doesn't really like talking to media much and (laughs) really keeps to himself. So um, we'd love to have him on the podcast. So if you talk to Bob, give us a a good mention. But what was your relationship like with Bob? And what kind of guy was he? Is he? Yeah.
2: So growing up, you know, we grew up probably minutes away from each other and, you know, he was always a hard-working kid. He comes from a, a, a hard-working family. His dad um, has a bunch of different uh, – si- he has a bunch of siblings, brothers and sisters that all just work hard. Like, they're they uh, gifted with size. Unfortunately, Bob didn't get that size. But, um, you know, most of his rel- his uh, siblings are, are put together very well, like he is. Um, but his mom and dad are just two of the most – Uh, wonderful people that I've ever met that I've ever had the opportunity to be around hard workers you know just just A plus type people and uh, Bob was one of those kids that was smaller than everybody else that always felt like he needed to prove everybody wrong and uh, and he went to high school um, at Cathedral Prep and and people looked at him like you know he's just a small guy that's put together but you know, the way he went out there and, and got it done, he he made a way for himself. Um, he Him, a lot like me, um, didn't have a lot of scholarships coming out of high school. He only had the University of Iowa. And the reason why he ended up getting offered to the University of Iowa was because Coach Joe Moore, who was Coach Ferrence's head coach in high school, put in a word and said, listen, this kid can play. You need to give him an opportunity. And so Coach Ference did. And uh, and again, you know, you you find a diamond in a rough, and it pans out for you. And Bob was, you know, a overachiever. He he definitely, you know, achieved more than anybody probably ever expected. Um, I knew he would do well because I seen him play growing up. I knew what type of player he was. I seen him play in high school, where he ran for fifteen hundred yards in seven games, and then he broke his foot. So I mean, I knew I knew at a young age that he was special, but I don't think other people knew. And the relationship that we had just kind of blossomed as we continue to grow older. And uh he is one of the hardest people that to, to get to say much um or even to get a hold of. But, you know, love him to death. I think he 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 accomplished everything that he set out for himself. And just, you know, I couldn't be more proud of the person that he's become.
0: Javon, one of the rumors that we always heard as fans that maybe you can uh, tell us if it's true or not. But we always heard that he, Sanders was the fastest one on the team in the in the years that he was there on in college. Is that true, or was there anybody else that had Jets
2: fastest? I mean, I, I don't know if I go as far to say the fastest, but the most explosive for sure, without <laughs> a question, without a doubt. But the fastest, I think that I think there's some guys that would make a case for that. I don't know, okay. um, James Townsend. Um, when he was there, Bob's later years, I think he might he might have edged Bob in the race. Uh, we had a couple guys that could run. You know, CJ Jones was fast. Shoot, uh, who else? We had Adolphus Shelton who played corner. He was pretty fast. Yeah, we, we had some we had some fast guys. Bob, I think, grew into or worked his way into being fast. You know, just the weight room and you know the things that Doyle did for us in the weight program and. Uh, Bob came in as a four six guy, and I think he left at a low four three guy. So he wow. worked his way up to it.
1: All right, Javon, uh, you're probably well aware of this, but you're known throughout Hawkeye fans that have followed your career for having a pretty exceptional fashion taste. Is that something that you <laughs> really aim to please? Like, are you? When you go out and you dress up like you're like okay, like you know I have a reputation to uphold here. People know about my fashion sense. What, what what's all gone behind that? Are you a pretty big fashion guy?
2: Uh, I try to be. I try to be. I think I'm just I'm I'm bold with the with the the way that I I go into the public and the way that I dress. Sometimes like I okay. take chances. I'm I'm a risk taker. Like I'm like right. hey, if people are gonna talk about it, I'm gonna put it on. So let's get it. Let's go.
1: Right. I was that, the same
2: way on the field.
1: That <laughs> uh, was super weird. Like that one of the very first podcasts we were gonna do, Jerry showed up in a zebra striped suit and we're like, dude, you gotta wear something else. Like that so uh, luckily he went and changed, that's... put on something a little more normal, but you know, Jerry uh... took a swing too. We we
0: know He's that's a lie because we know that's a lie because I don't even have the sense to wear that kind of a suit. I'm pretty plain all the time. So uh you're being uh... modest. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, go Going to eye with Jovan, you just, you, you know, all four years you were just consistent. You had the knack for the ball, uh, the, you know, interception wise. You led the Big Ten and, uh, or uh, excuse me, you were, yeah, you led the Big Ten in uh, 2004, but I think you had three to four every year. What mm-hmm. Was that just a natural or was it kind of like Sanders and his speed? Was that something that you had to develop under Coach Parker while you were there and, uh, and, and learn the knack for? Or, or, you know, what was your personal experience in uh, becoming that kind of a uh, defender? The chief. Thief. I mean, for me, for me, I,
2: I think I had a knack for it because, you know, I played quarterback in high school. So, you know, all the routes that people would try to run on me, I used to throw them to receivers. So, you know, I kind of knew breaking points, um, where the ball was going to go, how they were going to try to get it there, you know, and, and all of those type of things. So, you know, it worked kind of in my favor because I anticipated a lot, but I also watched film a lot. So I was I was anticipating things that i seen before they happen so that I can get a jump. Um, and I, that was kind of the motto throughout my career is I always picked the ball off, you know, whatever level, I always took the ball away. Um, and I was just consistent at Iowa, I was consistent after Iowa at taking the ball away. And then uh, I started to, um, even in high school, my my last year in high school, I had 10 interceptions. My junior year, I only had four. but. My senior year, I had 10, but I had 10 because I had four in the first game of the year. So just kind of having a knack for it. And, you know, I always was a returner. Um, so I caught the ball a lot and I always had the ball a lot. So I, I was just used to having the ball. So anytime I got the chance, I just wanted to to get the ball.
1: <laughs> Javon, bring us into that defensive room uh, with – some of the awesome guys, including yourself that you played with, like Bob Sanders, Matt Roth, Chad Greenway, you know, Abdul Hodge. You guys just had an absolutely insane roster of of just dudes on that team. Bring us into uh, the practice room where you guys, the meeting room where you guys are, you know, talking and practice. What was it like, you know, playing side by side with those guys and, and scheming with them?
2: I mean, I think they started well before, all of us got there um you know that 99 98 when fairness first got there you know those guys who who kind of built the program to what it what it became you know they set the foundation and you know all of those guys that you mentioned we just kind of took it and carried it forward and made sure that everybody that came after us understood the Iowa way um you know when you got guys like Colin Cole and you know Fred Barr and you know, Derek Pagel and, and DJ Johnson. These guys are, are guys that may not have had the same success that we did in, in my four years, but they set the foundation and the groundwork for us to be, you know, where we were. Um, and then when you when you come, when you bring in athletic guys like Chad Greenway and uh, physical monster like Abdul Hodge and, you know, me and Antoine both played for four years. So we kind of grew together. Um, then you have Bob Sanders, who was the, the racer back there.
0: You know, we had an
2: outstanding defensive line with with uh, Matt Roth and Jonathan Babineau and, you know, Tyler Lukey, some of these guys that may not yes. have gotten the same type of attention as others, but, you know, played a vital role. Everybody in our in our defensive room understood that we had one goal and it was one heartbeat on defense. We We played for each other. We all were passionate about the game and we really took – watching film, you know, critiquing the other team's offense, communicating, you know, we we took that to the field because it made us better. And I think a lot of us were able to overachieve because of our attention to detail and how well we play with each other because of our, our ability to communicate.
0: So during your time there, Javon, uh, I guess it's a two-part question, but who was the guy on the team that kind of set the bar that Either pushed you, or that you wanted to use as the example that that you used as your uh, as an incentive to try to to keep to keep up with. And then, who was the guy on the other team, like somebody else in the Big Ten, the guy that you just wanted to get after that presided the biggest challenge, and that you always kind of be the guy that you kept in mind as you trained, and you just thought, I just want to, I want to get him next time I play against him. So, yeah,
2: well, for the, the first part of the question, the guy the guy that pushed me the, the hardest was Bob. You know, know, because being from our hometown, you know, the way that we came up, you know, we we didn't ever want to to feel like we underachieved. So we always wanted to go harder, and we pushed each other to, I mean, I, we, we pushed each other so hard sometimes that, you know, when we would run sprints and stuff, we'd be the only two guys, you know, racing each other at the end, pushing each other. Like, we, we really pushed each other, and he I think he, he helped me overachieve. Um, but on the flip side of that, the guy that I just, you know, wanted to to play against the most because he was so overhyped was Braylon Edwards. You know, I I heard Mm -hmm. his name so much throughout the Big Ten. And like, I just couldn't wait until we played him, you know, and and the same for Charles Rogers. Like, you know, those were two receivers that I I just couldn't wait till we got on the field together so that we could like go at it. And Braylon ended up, catching a ball on me that for a touchdown that I should have intercepted. Uh, I kind of tripped over his foot and fell down and the ball hit me off the shoulder pad Mm -hmm. and he, and he caught it for a touchdown. But, you know, Charles Rogers was a guy that, you know, we ended up stopping his touchdown streak that was going on for, you know, that's all we heard about for weeks and weeks and weeks that he was on a, on a run at scoring touchdowns every week. So uh, we were able to put that to an end.
1: Uh, Javon, you had some really I great know, relationships I on this team. Oh, she trying to she trying to pick me up now on the, on the voice <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, you had some really great relationships on the team, and I'm sure you guys had a lot of fun off the field as well. Now that you're you know separated long enough and you haven't been there for a little while, tell us some good you know, a good story or two of something fun or that maybe happened off the field or in the weight room or in practice that you look back on on a another day of the week. And you're like, Oh man, that was crazy. That was so funny. I can't believe that happened.
0: And the stature, of limitations is up. So you feel free to tell us anything, you know, don't, don't (laughs) hesitate. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody listens anyway. I I, I
1: can tell
2: you, I can tell you one uh, incident that, that now that I look back at the time, it wasn't funny at all. But (laughs) now that I look back on it, you know, as I got older, it was kind of like silly, but uh, me and, uh, and Chris Smith, I don't know if you guys remember Chris Smith, but Chris Smith was the safety out of Texas who uh, I think Chris was, was really upset with Parker because he felt he was going to be playing a lot more than he did. Um, But he was a guy who, who, you know, they plugged him in when Considine got hurt or, you know, whenever Considine would go out, he would go in. Um, But one incident, we were in a weight room and, some some things happen uh with a female. And you know, as we walked out the weight room, I just hear this voice behind me and he's saying, So we ain't homeboys. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, like, what are you? I'm like, who is he talking to? Like, I don't understand what is like what's the purpose of what he's saying. So I turned around and, and he's talking to me and he's like, So we ain't homeboys. And I'm like, What? Like, what are you talking about? Come to find out, a girl on campus that I was dealing with, you know, he was like I guess that was supposed to be his girl or whatnot. Uh, really? So like we got into um. an altercation and and argued and you know we're getting ready to fight and you know Bob kind of stepped in because him and Bob came in in the same class and and Bob pushed me back and was like, you know, don't be acting like we back home and all this extra stuff. <laughs> and then Marcus Pascal, who was my friend that was came in in my class, he was like, now nah, forget that. Like you you ain't about to be disrespecting my boy. So it was just kind of like a lot of of yeah. back and forth like pushing yeah. and shoving like we was getting ready to really fight over over a female that I didn't <laughs> even know that he was dealing with yeah. so that's <laughs> I crazy mean, it, was, it was funny it's funny now for sure but at the <laughs> yeah. time i was pissed
0: Uh, you know boys will be boys at that age right (laughs) yeah absolutely
2: (laughs) Absolutely.
1: i think most of us like during that time in our life either went through that firsthand or had a very close friend that went through something just very much like that so
0: (laughs) i I totally get that
2: yeah it was interesting
0: So, you know, you have a very successful uh, career at Iowa then, Jovan, you know, and, uh, you know, even as you mentioned the returner, and I mean, I guess I'd kind of forgotten when we're doing till we did our research that you had actually uh, finished the what number one in the Big Ten and number five in the uh, country your senior year as a returner. Yeah, I'm somewhere in there. And I mean, that was like 17 and a half yards of return. That's incredible. So you have this great career at Iowa. And then I believe was it uh, what, what happened after that? Then what interest did you have from the NFL? And then you ended up having a stellar career in Canada. So how did all that kind of transition out?
2: Yeah. So, you know, coming out of college, I was ranked as one of the top 10 corners going into the draft. And for whatever reason, You know, I just slid further and further down the draft board. You know, I got calls in the fifth round, sixth round, you know, of of coaches and GMs saying, you know, we're going to draft either a defensive back or another another position. And all of them ended up drafting the other position. So, you know, Mm -hmm. after the draft was over, I got calls and, and things from all of those coaches, again, wanting to bring me in as a free agent. And the agent that I had at the time was big on, you know, Me taking money, getting money to go to a team that uh, he because he said, if they pay you to come in as a free agent, then they're they're going to be interested in you. And it's an investment, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, but the Steelers originally had wanted to bring me in and they told me on the phone during the draft that if if I signed with them as a free agent, I'd be the only DB that they bring in. So, you know, it would I wouldn't have no issues of making the team. Long story short, my agent ended up having me sign with the New York Jets, which probably was the biggest mistake that I ever made. Um, And I went to New York and, you know, they already kind of had a, a, they already had a foundation of guys that, you know, that they believed in, you know, first round draft pick, second round draft, like guys that were going to be around. And uh so I ended up, uh, Going there, I got released three times in like six weeks. Like probably the it was just very unfortunate. I I never really cared for the way the organization was ran. Man, Genie as a coach, I didn't like him as a coach. Like it was just it was butch league. Like for for what I was used to, and uh, and then after I got released the last time after at the end of preseason, the Steelers called me, and uh, and they asked me if I wanted to be a Steeler now, like because they wanted me before the draft was over. But um, I ended up going to New York. And then so what they did was they ended up signing defensive back in place of me because I went to New York. So um, when I did sign with the Steelers, I was placed on practice roster, and the guy that they signed in place of me was on active roster. So he ended up playing, I think, five or six years in the NFL. And all he did was just run down on kickoff and, and punt. And he won two Super Bowls with the Steelers. And that was the position that I was supposed to be in. But my agent, for whatever reason, sent me to New York instead of Pittsburgh. And then I ended up in Pittsburgh, anyways. But, you know, after, you know, seeing how everything kind of panned out and and how the organization was running Pittsburgh, I really enjoyed my time there uh, under Cower. I think Cower is a hell of a coach. He's one of the the stand up guys. he always kept it real. He never really sugarcoated anything with anybody. Um, and if he had stayed after my first year in the league, I probably would have played a lot longer. but he ended up uh, leaving because of some unfortunate situations that he was dealing with. And then Tomlin came in and uh, he sold us a dream. He told everybody, hey, you know, nobody's nobody. It doesn't matter how much money you make or or you know where what you've done, et cetera. You know we're going to keep the guys that's the best players, and I'm telling you, when I tell you, I intercepted the ball probably every single day in training camp and mini camp, and it was just a repetitive thing, like it was expected, like the other DBs just expected me to intercept the ball. And uh, and I ended up, entered, I ended up get picking up a fumble and scoring a touchdown in the preseason game. And guys like Ike Taylor and Troy Polamalu and, and Ryan Clark and all these guys are like, yeah, that that's still the deal. Like, you're going to be around for a long time. And then I ended
0: up getting released. So oh. So anyway, we were just discussing then, too, uh, then that, you know, the Pittsburgh didn't work out. And uh, do, did you ever find out a reason why, if you were having that good of a training camp, did you ever find out why they cut you then? Or.
2: Yeah, um, well, it was because of – of investments. Basically, that's what it boiled down to. Um, the general manager at the time, when they ended up uh, calling me in the office, they said it was either me or a guy by the name of Ricardo Coakley, who was the second round draft pick. And uh, he was going into the fourth year of his contract. And they wanted to see if he would amount to what they expected him to be in, when they drafted him. So, you know, it was basically over investments, honestly, to say the least. But it wasn't about skill or about talent because I I probably outplayed everybody except for Brian McFadden.
1: So it wasn't at all what Tomlin said it was going to be pretty much. (laughs) Absolutely not. Right. Um, You know, like we were saying before, though, that um, with the barriers being taken down, with being able to fans to have access to see, you know, hard knocks and TV shows like that, Mm -hmm. you know, Amazon's got a lot of them as well how extremely difficult it is to make an NFL roster. I mean, that some of the most amazing athletes and greatest football players aren't able to make it based upon odd circumstances, like you said, Uh, Mm -hmm. but your transition into the CFL. Now, we want to know a little bit about that because you you're going down as one of the one of the best cfl players of all time in 2011 i believe you won the most outstanding defensive player award mm-hmm. and at your position you were the first i think you're the first defensive back ever to win that award is that correct yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so walk us through that transition, what life was like in Canada, what the CFL was like. We talked to Drew Tate a little bit about this, too. We just are kind of fascinated by it because it seems like a little bit of a of a different world up there. What was that environment like, and what? how was that transition for you?
2: Yeah, for me, I mean, the transition was easy um, because at the end of the day, well, I was playing football, but I think the thing that made it tough was just the different rules, uh, how big the field was, uh, the fact that a, a guy can line up on the line of scrimmage and he can move laterally and mm-hmm. you have to cover him. Like that, that was one of the hardest adjustments to make was a receiver moving lateral on the line of scrimmage. And then when the ball snap, he's moving. So is it's, it's, it's a, a very big adjustment period as to a guy just having to stay stationary. Um and just getting used to all the different motions and things like that. I mean, but as far as schemes, schemes schematically, it was pretty much the same, similar concept. Cover three, cover two, the mm. same sort of thing. Uh, but life, the lifestyle in Canada is night and day from the NFL because it's like everybody is is enjoying each other's presence. And we only work four and a half to five hours a day. So like you wasn't there from seven o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock at night on a regular basis so like it was it was different but at the same time we have more freedom to for guys to do stupid stuff so you know you kind of seen that happen a lot more often than than you did in the nfl because guys were more secluded you couldn't really hang out too long too late at different establishments and things like that uh, because you have a lineup out the door of people wanted to get autographs and you know think you're a big time but in Canada everybody was just kind of even killed like it was everybody enjoyed each other's presence even the fans like when they were around they weren't hounding you and making you feel like you was a superstar it was just kind of like they were just happy to see you and they would come over say what's up and then going about their business but it was it wouldn't be like that in the NFL
0: no so do you ever, uh, you know, kind of when we look at your career and then you talk about your connection with Bob Sanders, we keep bringing his name up, but you had a very similar, I mean, you were, you know, you were a league uh, most viable, most outstanding defensive player. Mm-hmm. You know, you had all-star, you had a lot of, you know, your accolades. You, you played on some more teams where he was on the Colts. But, I mean, is it always, does it ever dawn on you how similar your career trajectories were since you were in Canada and he was in the NFL or?
2: Yeah, I mean, I because I, cause I I always tell people like coach Parker is the only, only the only DB coach in America that has two defensive backs that were defensive players in two other uh, years in two different leagues so um but yeah I mean it, it's crazy how how the world works and how things kind of panned out but um unfortunately I didn't get the same opportunities that he did uh being a draft pick in the NFL but you know at the end of the day, you know I made the most of my opportunities and in my career and i'm I'm not one bit you know unsatisfied with, with what I was able to accomplish
1: sure. so what were, what was your big moment when getting into the CFL we were like, wow, this lifestyle's different like was it the maple syrup on the table for every meal or you know any,
0: anything anything any, anything <laughs> weird like that like what were you going to say, Jerry? I was gonna say when you talk to the coaches, did you have to say a after every sentence? You know,
2: No, yeah. no, no, no.
0: Lots you know, of flannels, I, lots of flannel know, I always, shirts. I
2: always joke with the Canadian people that say a all the time. Like every time the, I ever heard somebody say a, I always say b. Like I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, why do you say that? Like they like it's just a term that they use for whatever reason. Um, but it, I mean it. It's different because a lot of people speak French you know, a lot of people speak English. They say, "A." they, I mean, it, it's different. Like the, it's just a different lifestyle. Um, the maple syrup, you know, that, that's one of the big things in Canada. Um, you know, hockey is big in Canada. So like when people, um, talk about working out, it'd be, you know, I'm going to pay thousands of dollars for my kids to play hockey, not thousands yeah. of dollars for them to travel and play football. For so, sure. I mean, it's just a different world. And, uh, I wouldn't change it at all for anything because, I mean, the people that love football in Canada, they love football.
0: Yeah. So you didn't apologize to everybody after you hit them. You know, you always hear about Canadian manners. You didn't have to get up and say, oh, sorry yeah. about that, then do it <laughs> no, again the next No, play. I didn't do that. Maybe the, <laughs> the Canadian guys
2: uh, will do things like that, but no, nah, not me. I, I never apologize well, for hitting you. It's part of the game yeah. in between the whistle. So,
0: so Javon, I know we got a window here that we got to hit before you got to hit a practice, but, um, you know, the last question, I, one thing we did see is that you are eligible now for the Canadian football hall of fame. Mm-hmm. So is there anything we as Hawk fans can do to help make this happen? I mean, you worked your tail <laughs> off to get what you did. Is there anything we can be doing to help push this and, uh, and, and start, uh, creating the movement or. I don't, I don't even know, uh, how the
2: process works when it comes to that. I really don't even care. Um. <laughs> But, and all honestly, if, if I ever get the call um, to be in a Canadian Football Hall of Fame, you know, I definitely would be mad appreciative because all of the hard work that went into it, all the sacrifices that I had to go through, you know, the adversity that I had to overcome just to be up there um, miles away from my family and friends doing what I love to do, meeting new people, you know, playing a game with all these different people that I, I wasn't used to being around. Um, the adjustments and all, it, like all of it, like everything that went into it, you know, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the, you know, those, just those moments, you know, I, my first year in Canada, um, my team that I was on, even though I didn't play, uh, but one game, but the team that I was on was really good. And uh, we won the championship that first year. And, you know, you know, as a player, you think, okay, you come into the league, you win the championship, You, it's, it's going to be so easy for you to get back. And then, as the years go, you're like, man, we ain't, we ain't making it. <laughs> like, and then uh, in 2009, I think that was the probably the defensive player of the year, uh, year that I had in 11. I thought my year in 2009 was better. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you still got to go out there and play. Um, so I ended up getting the award in 11. Um, but again, you know, my teammates that I had on my team, you know, they were – I mean, if it weren't for them, you know, doing what they were able to do and accomplish what they were able to accomplish, I would have never been able to do what I was doing. So um they were kind of funneling everything to me, it felt like. I mean, every time the ball was thrown, it was always to my guy, and I was able to either intercept the ball or or get a knockdown. The fans love me in Canada. So <laughs> if yeah. the fans in Canada knew that, you know, I was eligible for Hall of Fame. I probably go into the Hall of Fame in, in one year. <laughs> well,
1: did you did you I, I don't know if you were aware of your nickname the Chief Thief? Did you um, ever remember hearing that?
2: Yeah. They I got a towel that says the chief thief on it.
1: That's awesome. That is, that's one of the coolest nicknames I've ever heard. And (laughs) I, uh, I I remember that back from when you, when you played at Iowa, then I'm like, I I completely had forgotten about it when we were kind of doing some research for the interview, but I'm like, that is one of the coolest nicknames I've ever heard. So (laughs) Javon, thanks for taking so much time out of your schedule. You know, I know you got something you got to get to here. You got practice. So um, good luck with everything in life, man. Keep in touch. And we're just, we're excited to be able to catch up with you and see that you're doing so well. Hey, no problem. I appreciate and, you guys
2: having me for sure.
0: And as Hawkeye fans, we're really glad that your running mate in high school decided to go to another school because we were awfully glad to have you while you were there. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and we kicked their
2: <laughs> ass four years in a row.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and hopefully we got another one coming against them this weekend. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, I hope so. I <laughs> hope so. All right, man. Thank you very much. All right. All thanks, right. Shavasa. Go it. Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.
1: It's time to schwarze.